Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. This is the podcast for merchant sales reps and industry professionals who want to understand the industry and learn how to grow their portfolio. Today, we start out with four questions from the field that focus on selling and competing with software solutions. The Insider's Report with Patty Murphy will provide the keys to building a profitable merchant portfolio for the long haul. At the end of today's podcast, we have a special report on the state of cash discounting in the industry today. We love making these podcast episodes, and we sure hope that you enjoy listening to them. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by InstantQuoteTool.com. With over 30 training courses covering everything from sales objections to statement analysis, ISOs are using our learning management system to help new agents understand the industry and how to sell merchant services. Industry veterans love our courses because we dive deeper into concepts such as interchange and explore new industry trends like cash discounting, NFC, and the resurgence of American Express with the Optiblue program. Put all of these training courses together with the leading proposal creation tool for merchant services agents in the field, and we believe our branded ISO solution and individual user package is a must-have. Visit instantquotetool.com today or email support at instantquotetool.com to learn more. Great question here from Raymond. What would your advice be for someone new to the industry to be successful? Um, I would say a couple things. My number one advice that I would give you, and this is maybe counterintuitive for some of you, is don't worry very much about the details of the compensation you negotiate. Mm-hmm. Worry about the training, coaching, and mentoring that you get from the processing company. You have to watch people make sales in order to figure this business out. This is a tough industry, and if you think you're, well, no, James, you don't understand. I sold cars before. I sold investments. I sold insurance. I can sell merchant services. Uh, no. no. When you started selling insurance, did they just put you in an office and you never met with anybody? No, mm-hmm. you had to go get certified. Right. Right. So you've got to get out in the field with somebody who's successful. Um, if you can get some appointment scheduled leads, like look for resources when you're starting. You want to look for resources, mm-hmm. not just, well, this company pays, you know, $100 more. This one pays, has a two cent higher Schedule A cost. Who cares? If you're not, you know, 80% of nothing is nothing. Right. You got to make sales. So I wouldn't worry as much about, you know, and again, there's some core things, right? You got to, you know, you need to know your residual split is safe. Sure. Even if it's a little bit smaller, you need to know you own it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to make sure you're getting some upfront money. You need to make sure you have some different technology options. So you can sell, you know, a free terminal or a lease or a point of sale. You need to have some options. Right. There's right. some core things. Sure. But I think once you get past that, it's you got to have somebody that you can watch. But I think advice other than getting mentored is um, is learn how to sell. I mean, if you're getting if you're saying new to the industry, meaning new to sales in the industry, learn how to sell, get sales books, listen to audio programs, become a professional salesman. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, Paul Green wrote a couple books on that, too, you know, on selling um, yeah. from his experience. Right. Um, there's a lot of folks out there that can help you with that. I also think that, you you know, you want to make sure that you're working with somebody who it's not just a mentoring, mm-hmm. but it's a lead generation. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's the it's the back end support. Can you right. trust them that when you call the call center, you yep. know, at midnight on Saturday? Right that you're going to get a response. Absolutely. Yeah, it goes back to retaining the customer. What good is it to sell them and then you don't even retain them? And and, and, so you, you know. and, and to do that, you need strong up, upstream partners. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a great question, Raymond. And, and again, I think, um, you know, I think the answer is 
you don't do what everybody else does. What everybody else does is they they shop around. They they, they go to 10, 15 different companies and mm-hmm. shop around. And all they look at is commission, commission, commission. Really what they need to look at is, do I have any leads coming in? How am I going to generate business? Or are you going to put me in a car for three or four days with a very successful rep? Let me see how they cold call without leads. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. you've got to, where is this path? How are you going to get your portfolio built? Exactly. Yeah. Great question, though, Raymond. Our next question comes from David, and David asks us how to compete with point of sale, and I'll even summarize this to say ISVs, SaaS solutions. So basically the question is, hey, I'm out in the field, um, I've got these customers, or I'm trying to sell a customer, and I'm competing with a point of sale solution that basically comes in and says, we have the software that's going to revolutionize your business, but it's integrated with our payment solution. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're running into this a lot more today. A lot, lot uh, more, sure. Obviously. Um, a, one of the things that's a theme we've talked about several times that keeps coming back to me is, you know, not too long ago, everybody was saying, well, eventually, you know, payment processing is going to be free and you're just going to pay for software. Mm-hmm. Nope, gone the other way, hasn't it? Right. Software is all of a sudden free, but oh, wait, we've integrated the payments. Right, right. Um, and so that's definitely something that happened. So a couple of thoughts I have for you on that. You know, I think, um, I think number one, educating the merchants on the fact that if the payments are fully integrated, they need to understand the entire value proposition. Mm-hmm. Um, many times salespeople go in and they just don't know how to really approach that. But, you know, the way I explain to people is I say, look, you know, um, how much did you pay last month in credit card processing fees? $500. Okay. So if I had a competing software and I sold it to you for $500 a month, do you think that's too much? Well, yeah. Okay. So we got to break this down a little bit because, see, you are paying for the software. Right. But what's happening is they're marking up the payments. And so what happens a lot of times, merchants just don't understand. They don't even really get it. They're like, this software is really nice. It's free. Well, no, it's not free. Nothing's free. Nothing's free. There's no, you know, there is no free point of sale system out there. There is no free terminal out there. No. You know, you're just paying for it another way. Mm -hmm. Right. So Mm -hmm. um, I think the first step is making sure they understand that. And I think the second thing is you have to have competing solutions. Right. I mean, if you want to compete, you know, in the marketplace, you got to have a point of sale system that goes out there. And, you know, you could be, you know, altruistic about it. And, you know, yeah, I, I only use solutions that are totally open. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, I could respect that. Mm-hmm. Uh, me, I'm like, no, I, I want to be the one that has the closed solution that only integrates with me. So, right. you know, so that's what I'm building and you're selling it. So, uh, you know, I think it's up to you. I mean, on one extreme, you got stuff like Clover where, I mean, Clover's unbelievable. I mean, you literally, like, you know, a while back I thought, oh, I got a great idea. If I get somebody with Clover and, you know, they like it, I'll buy the clover from them. I'll sell it on eBay and I'll give them a new one so I can flip them. Right? Oh yeah. Uh huh. Doesn't work because the one that you get you can't sell it on eBay because they've locked it to that merchant. Really? Oh, it's unbelievable. I mean, so that's wow. kind of to me that's kind of the farthest extreme of like my goodness that is like locked like a cell phone. I mean, it's just locked to like a Verizon right. cell phone. You sure. know. Um, which again, you could look at that and say, oh, those you know evil money grubbers. Well, okay. Or you could go sell it because it's like that's really sticky. Right. Exactly. So, to me, that would be the point. I mean, that's what I think about the systems is that they're much stickier because yeah. they do much more. Right. Absolutely. And people, they, they use it. They love it. So um, I don't know if that's a, a ton of great information for you about this particular question. And one of the other things he mentions in here, David talks about how a lot of times they're, they're telling their merchant, you know, well, when security certificate 348 comes out, we're going to have to switch you to our processing. And so, you know, the other question I think here is, what do you do when you have a client that has a point of sale system that's not yours mm-hmm. 
you've set them up with credit card processing, and now the point of sale company is going to try to undercut you and and sell them out from underneath you. Mm-hmm. That's where you have to keep the customer educated. Yeah. Um, and that kind of goes back to service we talked about exactly. earlier. Exactly. Service. It? That's what I was just going to say. If they call you, you're going to be able to call the company and say, "What are you talking about? What is this certificate? Whatever. Let's figure this out because this is my client." Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I think you can definitely find a way around it, uh, but it, you got to have that relationship in order to do that. Yeah, and I think you just you have to have the relationship, and you can't just you can't totally discount those types of solutions. Right? No, absolutely not. No. Great question, David. Thank you. Our next question comes from Bill Carey. Might be my favorite question of the day, Patty. I don't know. I really like this one. Okay. I, no one's ever asked me this specific question. Really? Um, no, but it, it has. Uh, it's kind of happened inadvertently, like a million times. Uh huh. So the question is, should I? you know, keep selling these point of sale systems that are really time consuming to sell and install and everything? Or uh, should I just focus on, you know, selling standalone terminals? Now, um, it's so funny because this I love this question because it's so difficult for me to answer. So let me do both sides. I totally understand where Bill is coming from, because um, for a while I had a point of sale company and I had uh, 300 resellers. Uh-huh. And it was unbelievable. We would take a rep that was making 20 sales a month, 15 sales a month, and say, you should start talking about POS. He'd sell two deals a month. Really? And you're like, oh, my word. Like, what in the world? And the reason is because these things are complicated. It takes time. They're really hard. They're really hard to sell because it's a big decision. They're really hard to install because they take a lot of time to set up, to add inventory or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So I'll give you kind of the process. So what, the way I look at this is I want to have my cake and eat it too. So what I do is when I go out in the field, I per, my personal opinion is you go out in the field selling the standalone terminal, unless they already have a point of sale. But if they let's say they've got a standalone terminal. Mm-hmm. I sell the standalone terminal, but I also sell the relationship with me. That's that's that long term, you can upgrade. Yes. But I think you could make a huge mistake by saying, oh, I'm only going to sell POS systems. Well, then you're going to make two or three sales a month, and they're going to take forever. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I go in and say, hey, here's the deal. I've got a whole suite of point-of-sale systems, but that's a much bigger decision. I think we should get to know each other for a couple months before we make that decision. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make this really easy for you. You've got a VX520 there. I'm going to bring you a VX520 in a couple days. I'm going to replace that one. It's going to be less money. You're going to save money, and you're going to get to see what it's like to work with me. Mm -hmm. And then after a couple months, let's do a a little bit more of an in-depth conversation about your business and see if maybe there's a technology system. So I would do that. The second thing I will tell you is, and and this is something I'm, I'm really a big believer in, and hardly anybody does this. In today's market for payments, you need to have a local partner that understands technology. Yes. And these are so easy to find. If you looked in your area, you would find three or four little tiny computer shops mm-hmm. with a computer geek mm-hmm. that is looking for work. Yes. You go to them and say, look, I'm not going to pay you anything right now, but I just want to make sure that we have a partnership. I want to talk about what I do. If I sell a point of sale system, can I pay you to install it? Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. I get a customer that wants to hook their terminal up to the internet, but they don't have the, the uh, Ethernet cable run to the front, can I pay you to run the cable? Mm-hmm. Can mm-hmm. I contract you out to the merchant? Of course you can. They're going to love that. Mm-hmm. And so I think you've got to have that because otherwise, as as Bill pointed out here, you don't want to get yourself into a situation where you're just making a couple sales a month when you could be making a lot more. Right. And and, and again, it really goes to the relationship, doesn't it? I Absolutely. Mean, if you're If you can build these relationships and build them up, Right. It's just as good. Yep. I agree 100%. And uh, it's a great question, Bill, though, because, again, I know exactly where you're coming from. And, and it's funny because if you put a gun to my head right now and said, just answer this question, yes or no, I would say, 
just skip it and sell the regular terminals. Sure. That's my answer, because if you don't do that, you're not going to make any money, and then you're going to have to go do something else. Right. right. But it's just a more complicated question. Yeah. you got to build a relationship and sell. you got to sell the technology. That's what's sticky. That's what's going to keep the merchant long term. But and, and again, and I think you'd agree, you know, when you're when you're first selling the merchant, you can get a feel for what they're going to need, what Absolutely. they, you know, what they're going to grow into. You can even feel them out like, okay, maybe, you know, do you want one of these big PO? Oh, no, that's way too much right. for me. Okay, well, fine. Let's just Let's grow into it. Grow into it. Well, and even the other thing is maybe they're a good fit for this big point of sale system, but maybe just not today. Right. Today, you just got to get that merchant agreement signed and get that terminal in there and start making some money. Because let's mm-hmm. face it, if you're, these are questions from the field. You're in sales. Right. You got to get paid. If you don't get paid, you're out of business. Exactly. Make a sale and then sell them some technology too. Right. Our last question today comes from Brian. It's a great question. Um, he's talking about asking us kind of what is the market penetration right now on these bundled SaaS solutions? And talked about this a lot in other questions. It's a recurring theme that uh, Patty and I have both seen with these questions. So the idea is, you know, what percentage of business right now, their payments are just very tightly integrated with their technology solution that they have, their SaaS solution. Mm-hmm. And what do you do about that as a rep? So I think the answer to the first question, I have no idea the exact percentage, but you know, you're going to have to, you know, you have to put Square into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you have to put all these other solutions in. So I think it's a, I think it's a reasonable percentage. Now it could be 15 percent, maybe mm-hmm. higher. I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say probably fifteen to twenty, but yeah. no more than twenty. I don't think. Yeah. So it's it's a sizable percentage. I would kind of flip the question around on you though and say, you know, the answer to this question is you've got to find your own SaaS. Uh, solutions that you can sell. Right. So to me, it's more about find the vertical that you want to go after. Is it pizza shops? Okay. Find some pizza shop point of sale systems that ha- that are agnostic for the processor. Mm-hmm. So you can use your processor with them um, or find a processor that has an amazing pizza shop point of sale solution. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I would say find the vertical first, then find the solution and then be on the offense. I think some of these questions um, well-intended, but they come almost a, a kind of from a defensive perspective. You know, mm-hmm. what do I do about this? You know, what, right. how do I keep? Well, no, no, no. What you do about it is you go on the offense. Right. You pick a vertical that you want to sell because I don't care what vertical you choose. It's not 100% of those people already have their preferred SaaS solution. Of course not. It's, you know, like I said, maybe 20%. Maybe one out of five of them at most. Right. Right. So there's still a huge market available in any vertical. Find the vertical you want to go after. And again, a lot of times look in your own background. Maybe there's, you know, when I was in high school, I worked at a pet store. Mm -hmm. Um, I've sold every pet store aquarium shop within, I don't know, two hours of me because I knew I could go after them and relate and sell them easily. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So maybe it's in your own background, but you know, find that vertical and then find the solution that goes with that. Whether maybe that's just a standard terminal to begin with, but you know, have some solutions you can grow into. Yeah, I think that's really important. I think that's the thing about the SaaS solutions; they're much more geared towards growing. Yeah, don't you think? Absolutely, yeah. definitely. Great question, Brian. Thank you very much. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by Greensheet.com, a premier resource for the electronic payments industry. The Greensheet has been on the beat since 1983, always focused on boosting the feet on the street in our evolving sphere. It's no secret to anyone listening that building a successful, translation, profitable merchant portfolio demands a significant investment of time, knowledge, and exceptional service. Of these three... Service is perhaps the most critical, but all three are pretty much intertwined. 
Exceptional service is about more than just answering the call when a merchant has a problem. It's about taking the time to understand a merchant's requirements and providing solutions that meet those requirements without, with a minimal, minimum disruption. After all, by the time most merchants get around to calling for help with problems, the issue has already reached a critical juncture. Yeah. So when problems arise, nonetheless, it's important to stay on top of those problems until they get fixed to the merchant's satisfaction and to learn from those experiences. Absolutely. One of the things I found over the years to be most attractive about merchant services is a number of mavericks I've met, folks who think outside the proverbial, proverbial box, or in this case, the traditional POS box. <laughs> in fact, merchant services as a profession, and the ISO sales channel in particular, was created by a group of mavericks back in the 80s who saw opportunity to relieve banks of the need to maintain in-house staffs of merchant sales and servicing personnel. After all, it was not their bank's primary line of business. Right, right. I continue to see examples of this today, like ISOs offering local loyalty programs to help hometown merchants better compete with the big chains. I'm always on the lookout for things that can help my merchants as a common theme of my conversations with successful ISOs and MLSs. Wouldn't you agree, James, that Mavericks drive a lot of the innovation in this business? I think Mavericks drive a lot of the innovation everywhere, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I agreed. But, uh, you know, it, it really strikes me in this business, just some of the conversations we've yeah. had with some of the people we've interviewed and, yeah. and my experience. They're always looking at it a different way. They're always. And, and, it's, and I think that's the, the real – the key is just to be able to, to think – when I talk about thinking outside the box, you know, it's like you have to be able to look at a problem and say – you know, and right. be able to see see it from a different angle. See it from the merchant's perspective, from one thing. For one thing, sure, yeah. and then also yeah. from the from the consumer's perspective. Yeah. yeah, and 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 coming up with with solutions that might just not seem obvious to everybody right. else. Yeah, and you know, it's funny too. Going back, I was thinking about the service. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in our industry, that is just the, one of the most misunderstood things. Right, and I think there's a misperception that is. You know, merchant services, let's face it, it's becoming a little bit more like a utility, mm -hmm. right? It's, you know, merchants just expect it to be there. It's like you turn the lights on, you, you know, you have water running and your merchant, your, your terminal works, you know, right. It's, right. it's becoming that way. But, you know, it's easy to look at that and think service isn't important. No, service just isn't frequent. Right. But when they need service, it's vitally, it's like their electricity got shut off. Exactly. It's that severe because then they can't accept payments and... You know, I talk. I remember one of the first big sales I made was a uh, uh, place was a tobacco, uh, you know, sold cigarettes and kind of convenience store type thing. Mm -hmm. And they had eleven locations. And one of the reasons they went with me is because they said, you know, look, in the last year, you know, they've already got their markup down pretty low. They have a good deal, but they said, you know, we had I think they had four days the previous year where their their terminals went down, all of them. Oof. And they said, you know, we figured up that cost us about twelve thousand dollars. And so they said, even though my rate was, I was, I was about the same as my competitor, but I had local people that would service the accounts right. and I guaranteed they'd never be down for longer than two hours at any location. Mm -hmm. And that was it. And so anyway, to your point about the service, I think you got to, you got to look at that a different way as well and figure out, oh, yeah. you know, how to take care of the merchant. Well, you know, you and other agents that I've met over the years, you know, it's, it's not uncommon to have terminals in the back of your car. Exactly. Exactly. For those reasons. I right. mean, you want to build a profitable portfolio, do not lose your merchants and that you're going to have, you know, one or two opportunities a year where you're either going to wow your merchant or you're going to lose your merchant. Exactly. And you got to be ready for that moment because it could be could be at 2 in the morning if it's a bar. It could be 
at seven in the morning. You know, you who knows? Who knows? Whatever it, could it is, could be on Sunday while you're at church. Exactly. Oh, I've had. I can. My wife will tell you. There's been several times where I've literally been at church on a Sunday morning. I get a text. I leave and drive somewhere to. You know. Right. So you got to be ready because if you want to build a profitable portfolio, can't lose your merchants. Right. And you know the merchants can't lose business. Absolutely. Okay. Turning to value. Um, in the merchant acquiring space, a portfolio's value is based primarily on performance criteria like monthly transaction values, revenue concentration, markets served, and attrition. Of these, I think attrition is probably the most critical. After all, it is commonly accepted that it costs more to sell and board a new merchant than it does to keep current merchants happy and generating transactions. Adil Musa, a long-term industry analyst, has researched the topic of attrition extensively. He reports that about one in five merchants switch ISOs every year. Smaller ISOs, those processing less than a billion a year in card transactions, have the lowest attrition rates, averaging about 13% a year. Portfolios in the 10 to $30 billion range have the highest attrition rates, 22%, (coughs) while attrition for mega portfolios, those over $30 billion in annual sales, hovers around 18%, according to Moose's analysis. Moose, in a, in a report a few years back, put forth what he calls the five stages of attrition. The first of these is maintenance. The merchant maintains the status quo, even though they may have a few concerns, like unexpected fees, terminal problems, sure. delayed access to funds. Right. The second is pre-contemplation. This is when the idea of switching providers first occurs often after a problem persists or their concerns aren't addressed to their satisfaction. Third is contemplation. That's when merchants really start thinking about switching. Fourth is preparation. They research and entertain offers from new providers. And fifth is action. They sign with another provider. Mm. And then sixth is is uh, scared to death when the uh, rep looks at their portfolio and realizes that they lost a merchant. That they lost a merchant. That they, they could have, no have probably intervened easily. on those first three yeah. or four steps. Usually very easily. Very easily. And, but, and there are signs. I mean, you there know. There is, absolutely. If, 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 you know, this guy is suddenly isn't calling you and, right. you know, yep. it's, it's Christmas rush. Right, right. Well, you know, to me, the, the thing is, your merchant has to know who you are. Right. You, know, you sold them a year ago. And, you know, and I always tell reps, I say, you know, the bar in this industry is so low as far as service goes. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do that much to clear it. But your merchant has to hear your voice, let's say, once or twice every six months. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, you reach out. You know, uh, it's funny. My dad, he's uh, never been in merchant services, but he is a, a people person. And his business was always home inspections. And so he went to all these realtors' offices. And one mm-hmm. thing he taught me early on was if you want to have good relationships, he uh, he'd always say, Get a jar of candy. Yes. And drop, you know, it's, it's you know, for me, I'm the, the cold businessman, you know, whatever. I'm the sales, sales, sales. Right. It's those little things, though, the, the birthday card, the Christmas card. I know reps that, talk about Mavericks, I know reps that build their portfolio on this idea of birthday cards, Christmas cards. I mean, they, they send literally handwritten cards. Yes. To all of their merchants and they, with their business card. And so if, the, if your name is always there, then when the merchant has that moment of frustration or confusion, they call you right, rather than somebody else. And they know you're going to call them back. Absolutely. Yeah. Some attrition is unavoidable, of course. 
I'm thinking here of uh, business failures due to sure. economic downturns, changing consumer preferences. I mean, remember the days when people used to go to video stores? Right. <laughs> um, right. You know, um, poor management. Sure. But most other attrition is avoidable, provided the ISO or MLS makes the requisite investment of time, understanding, and service excellence. While attrition is a problem that cuts across vertical markets, Moose's research suggests, and I think the experiences of many successful ISOs and MLSs bear this out, that the less sophisticated a merchant's point-of-sale situation, the greater the risk that can be wooed away by a competitor. Sure. Lower barrier to entry there. Mm-hmm. If all they have is a simple terminal, there's nothing really to stop them from leaving for what may seem like a better deal. POS solutions with reporting capabilities, data analytics, and mobile components, on the other hand, can be very sticky propositions. Yeah. And the more hooks you like this that you can have into a merchant operations, obviously, the better. Sure. And it would seem to me, in fact, that access to data and, and tools that help merchants analyze data about their merch, about their customers and their and their sales, can be a really solid foundation. Yeah. For sticky relationships. Um, there are tools and services in the market to help an ISO or MLS understand which merchants are apt to defect, what steps might be able to they might be able to take to avoid those defects. Sure. I interviewed I interviewed executives at a company called Wampley not long ago. I don't know oh, if you're very ever familiar heard. with them. Yeah, okay. Sure. You know they mine payment data, online reviews, and other structured and unstructured data to help identify merchants that are at risk of defecting. Yeah. And, and and they can trigger actions, you know, intervention actions. Right. It can even keep tabs on net promoter scores, which I think is very cool. Oh, That's, yeah. You know, what, you know, quantifying the likelihood that the merchant's going to recommend yep. you to his friends. Yep. Um, bottom line, I guess, is uh, merchant services is many things, but mostly it's about providing quality service. Take the time to truly understand merchant needs. And to offer solutions that respond to those needs, even if it requires thinking outside the box, especially if it requires thinking outside the box, I would say. Yeah. The payback will be stickier customers who can grow the value of your portfolio as you help them grow their businesses. And most importantly, it leads to a valuable merchant portfolio. Yeah. You know, one other interesting stat I was thinking about while you were talking about that, <clears throat> uh, I saw a report recently that was uh, breaking attrition down by the size of the merchant account. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I think this kind of goes hand in hand with what you were saying in terms of the complexity of the POS as well. Right. But, you know, these merchants that do, you know, over, I think if it was under 8,000 in volume, you know, the the attrition was something like 30% a year, 35% a year. It was really high. Right. And I think it's once you get up above around 30, 40, 50,000 and above a month, that's where it really starts to go down. And when you're up around 100000 a month or more in volume, mm-hmm. the attrition rates across the industry was like maybe 6 or 7%, mm-hmm. significantly lower. And so, you know, I mean, some of that is unavoidable. I mean, of course, you know, as an individual rep out in the field, it's harder to to find and sell the 100000 a month merchant. Of course. You know, but it is interesting to keep that in mind because if you're trying to build a portfolio that's really valuable that maybe eventually you want to sell or borrow against or whatever, mm-hmm. trying to build that asset, uh, you know, don't neglect those bigger merchants because they, you know, they are harder to sell. Right. And there's a reason for that. It's because they don't switch as often. Right. Well, that means that when you do sell them, they don't switch as often. Right. It's very valuable. So, you know, sometimes I, I, I often look at that. It's like, <laughs> well, you can take a bunch of these really small merchants at 10000 each. Right. And maybe you only lose two of those. But if right. you have one 100,000 merchant. Right. 
and you lost it. That would be catastrophic. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, really good stuff, Patty. Thank, Thank you, you for that one. That was a good one. Thanks. Hey, everybody, this is James Shepard, and I wanted to just briefly introduce this next section before we get started. A couple times a year, I take a week or two and block off time and email all of my subscribers, my LinkedIn connections, and everybody and say, hey, let's have a 15-minute call. Many of you may have received that email. As a result, I've had hundreds of phone calls and conversations with agents, uh, processing executives, ISOs, you name it. I've talked to people from third-party integrations, just gateways, everything. And a lot of times after I do that, I like to just make a piece of content that gives you a status update about a major trend that I'm seeing that's different than the last time I did it. This time, the trend is really simple, cash discounting. So I thought it's time to do a special report and update on the status of cash discounting in our industry. I hope that you enjoy the content that I'm about to give you about cash discounting and that you learn a little bit about how this trend is impacting our industry and how it is or will impact you. Today, what I want to do is I just want to give you four things. I want to tell you four things about cash discounting and kind of the current state of cash discounting. So number one, and the most important thing you need to understand about cash discounting is that consumers don't care. Consumers don't care. Now, you know, this is something that I feel like it's it's so interesting to me when I see, you know, in all these phone calls I've had, I see these differences in these different segments of our industry. I talk to processing executives that are like, oh, the jury's still out on cash discounting. I just, you know, consumers are just not going to go for it and merchants just aren't going to sign up for it, you know, and it's like, okay, my next call is with a sales rep who's doing 20 to 25 deals a month, all cash discount. Uh, My next call is with a sales rep who's been doing cash discounting for a year and telling me how his merchants that he sold a year ago are telling him how excited they are, how much they love the program and how even the two or three customers that were upset initially have now come back to their business. And so this is a debate that seems to still be happening at the kind of executive level that's just not happening out in the field. Um, Cash discounting is here. It works. Consumers don't care. Uh, And so studies have shown that somewhere less than 1% of consumers even notice that there is a service fee on the receipt. Um, and those of those one percenters, very few of them care at all. And for most of these businesses, because of their net margin, I mean, you got to understand something. If I have a business and I'm paying a thousand dollars a month in credit card processing fees, and my total revenue is, let's say, uh, let's say my total revenue is fifty thousand dollars a month, and I'm paying, you know, twelve hundred a month in processing fees or whatever. Well, out of that fifty thousand, my margin is probably less than ten percent. So I'm only making $4,000 a month, let's say, four to $5,000 a month. So that $1,200 in merchant services fees, that's 25% of my profits. So you have to understand that if I, even if I lose, let's say I've got a, I don't know, uh, I've got a restaurant, you know, well, even if I lose, you know, 15, 20 customers and I lose their revenue, the fact that I'm saving that money, it's still a profitable decision. So when you know, you're talking to merchants about it and thinking about it, it's not the question isn't are you going to lose any customers? Because obviously the answer is yes, you probably are going to lose one or two or three customers, maybe more. The question is, are you going to increase the profitability of your business? Because that's why people are in business. And if the answer to that question is yes, you're going to dramatically increase the profitability then the merchants are going to be interested in that conversation. So, you know, the verdict is out. Consumers don't care. Now, do they not care in any situation? No, there definitely are going to be certain business types. And what I tell merchants is I say, look, there is a 95% chance, 
that you are going to roll out this program and your consumers are not going to care. Your customers, maybe two or three of them are going to be upset and leave and you're going to end up making a huge profit because the vast majority of your customers are not going to mind at all. Less than 1% are even going to notice it. But there is a 5% chance that I'm wrong. And there's a 5% chance that you know, you're going to flip back to traditional processing. And that's why when you work with a merchant on cash discounting, make sure you're giving them an out. You got to tell them cash discounting is something you should definitely try. And there's a 95% chance it's going to dramatically dramatically improve your profitability, but there is a 5% chance that it's not going to work out. And two, three, four weeks are going to go by and you're going to reach out to me and say, hey, James, this didn't work. We need to go back to traditional processing. And so just roll them back. I've even been doing, using our instant quote tool, I've actually been going in and making two different proposals. And I give them, here's the cash discount proposal where I'm going to save you $17,000 a year or whatever. Here's your interchange plus where I'm going to save you $600 a year. So we're going to start with cash discounting, but I want you to have this proposal in your hand so you know your worst case scenario is you have a 5% chance of saving $600 a year and you have a 95% chance of saving $17,000 a year. That's a pretty good deal, isn't it, Mr. Jones? So that's that's kind of the pitch that you want to use. So consumers don't care, number one. Number two, it's cash discounting, not surcharging. Now, this is where things start to get scary. Um, It is really no secret anymore what is going to happen with cash discounting, okay? What's going to happen is, and what's already happening, Visa and MasterCard, but mostly Visa right now, they're kind of on the warpath, they are going to claim that cash discounting is surcharging, okay? And they're going to say, you're just adding fees onto the credit card transactions. So uh, if you're adding these fees on, you can't surcharge debit cards and check cards, Um, And there's like 10 states where it's completely illegal to surcharge at all. So, you know, if it's surcharging, it's blatantly illegal in some states or and or against visa uh, rules. Um, It's definitely against visa rules. And so you got to be so careful with this. You this is not, you know, it's cash discounting is amazing, right? It's so profitable. It's so easy to sell um, all these great things. But there are some compliance concerns, and I'm going to talk about that last, but the most important thing here is just a verbiage and understanding. I talked to a rep a couple days ago, I think it was, that kept using the term reverse cash discount. And I'm like, what are you talking about reverse cash discount? Well, it's a reverse cash. And I'm like, no, it's not a reverse cash discount. It's cash discounting, you know? And I talked to another rep and I'm like, tell me your pitch. And he's like, well, I just tell him, you know, what we do is we just add a fee onto all your credit card transactions. And I'm like, Ah, (laughs) don't say that, you know, because then they're going to say that to their customers. You know, you have to train your merchants on this. And and I'm serious. You know, if you think this is a a joking matter, uh, you're going to have a rude awakening in two or three years if you're an ISO and you've got, you know, 2000 cash discount deals. And all of a sudden, you know, the the attorney general in your state opens up a a, a case against you and your merchants. I mean, this is serious, serious stuff. You have to make sure that you've trained your reps, make sure you train your merchants. They need to understand how to talk about this. Okay. We've added a service fee to all of our transactions. We've added a service fee to all of our prices. And if you pay with cash, we waive that fee or we offer you a discount, okay? But it has to be that there's two different things. There's the service fee that's on, it's a price increase on everything. And then separate from that, totally separate from that is, we also offer you a discount if you pay with cash. It just so happens the discount is in the same amount as the service fee, okay? So 
you know, when you think about it from Visa's perspective, it already sounds a little suspect. And I, you know, unfortunately, with the way that a lot of the, you know, the cavalier manner in which a lot of the ISOs and uh, companies are dealing with this, um, it's really not going to be very difficult for Visa to make their case against most of the industry because most of the industry is like, oh, cool, we just found a new way to make a lot of money. Yay, let's go do it. Well, that's nice, but you probably want to take a step back for a second and understand the verbiage. It's not surcharging. If it's surcharging, it's illegal. In, mo- in 10 states, the biggest states, okay, New York, Florida, Texas, California, you know, it's Colorado, it's illegal in those states. Um, and in every state, it's against Visa rules to surcharge debit cards and check cards. So cash discounting is on every card. So this is really, really important. Um, I would even encourage some of you, if you haven't done this already, go to instantquotetool.com, click on the courses. Uh, we actually have, that's a public page where you can see all the courses we have there. Um, and search for surcharging. I have a, a, a whole course on surcharging and cash discounting where I talk about these issues. So, you know, understand the way that Visa is going to attack this is they're going to say, wait a second, this is surcharging. Now, one other point I wanted to make about that is that's also the way that it could go. You know, three, four, five years from now, I don't see it being a, a huge change in the next 12 months because I think it's going to take a little while for stuff to get through the courts. But, you know, Visa could come come at the end and win the case of this is surcharging. It's no different than any other surcharging. And so you can only surcharge, you can only do this on the debit cards and only in the, the 40 states that are not, uh, that don't have state laws against it. Um, my hope would be that part of that deal is that the federal government would would federalize that rule and allow merchants to do the surcharge on the debit cards and stuff. So that's how I kind of see that going long term anyway. So you got to make sure that you're being careful with this and understand it is cash discounting. It's not surcharging. Uh, Number three, my other big takeaway from my calls about cash discounting is that sales skill matters. Sales skill matters here. Okay. Um, If you're getting out in the field and selling cash discounting, you need to understand it's so different than what we've done in the past with normal merchant services. Um, that's just a fact. You know, the problem is with merchant services, merchant services, when you go out and pitch traditional merchant services, the biggest problem that you run into as a sales representative is that the value proposition isn't great. And so you kind of have to sell a little bit of the, you know, one of my friends, uh, uh, Dave Figley always says, you have to sell the sizzle and the steak, you know, and, and that's how it is. I mean, merchant services, a lot of it is you're selling yourself, you're selling this technology thing, you know, you're doing different things to increase the value proposition because, you know, offering somebody to save them, you know, $200 a year and they have to do all this big switch and this rigmarole, sometimes in their mind, it's not worth it. And so you're, you're constantly trying to make it sound better than, than maybe what it is, or you're trying to really, you know, push the envelope there, right? That's how you sell merchant services. That is not, I repeat, that is not how you sell cash discounting. If you try to sell cash discounting like that, it's not going to work because cash discounting has the opposite problem. Cash discounting is too good to be true. When you go in and tell somebody you're paying $1,000 a month right now, well, with our company, you're going to pay $49 a month and that's it. And you're not going to pay anything else. Well, right off the bat, they have these you know antenna flags that go up that say, too good to be true. This is probably a scam. And so then you go into full sales mode like you did, you know, you do with merchant services and try to make it sound even better than it is. But no, you don't understand, Mr. Jones. This is incredible. You're going to save all that. You're not going to pay anything. This is zero fee. This is unbelievable. You know, that doesn't work with cash discounting because 
they're already thinking it's too good to be true. You got to take a step back. So what you want to do is when you walk in, keep your pitch simple. You want to grab their attention, sure, and say, hey, we have a really unique program. We do a subscription rate. It's only you know $39 a month or $59 a month, and that's it. That's all you pay. So whatever you paid in fees last month, with us, you'd pay $59. Now, obviously, we do some things a little bit differently, and I want to go over it with you. Do you have a couple minutes I could explain this and some of the laws that have changed recently that have allowed us to do this program? So you want to do a pitch like that off the bat, but then once you get into the discussion about it, you need to take a step back and you need to do a couple things. You got to give them a solid out. We talked about it a little bit ago, but you got to give them the out of, hey, um, you know, if this doesn't work out, you know, we're going to switch right back over to traditional processing because they're only going to have one objection, and that is, you know, my customers aren't going to like this. And so you got to go at it and say, yeah, well, ninety five percent of the the merchants that are doing this are stick sticking with it. Only five percent are switching back on average. Um, less than one percent of consumers are even noticing the fee, and the ones that notice it, a smaller percentage of those are upset about it. You probably are, you know, you know, friends. I give you an example. You know, in sales, you've got to throw some negatives out if you want to get trust. Okay, a good negative here is. You know what? I'm not going to lie to you, Mr. Jones. You probably will lose a few customers if you do this. So the question is, is it worth it? You know, are you in business solely to make that customer happy? Or is there some level here where you want to just do the right thing? You know, when you go to buy a car, Mr. Jones, and they tell you the price is $20,000 and you say, well, I'd like to pay with cash. Do you expect them to offer you a discount? Well, sure I do. Okay. Well, so do your customers. They have to go to an ATM and pay $4 to get their cash out. They have to go to a bank and withdraw the money. Like if they have cash, that's less convenient. They're not getting reward points. They're not getting frequent flyer miles. They're not getting any of that. And so because of that, they expect a discount and they should get one. Don't you think that's the right thing to do? Especially when it's the right thing to do and it's going to make you a lot more money. But you are going to lose customers. I'm not going to tell you this is a magic, you know, spoofle dust I can put on your business where everybody's, you know, everybody's always going to love you. I'm sure you've done things in the past that have made your customers upset. Maybe it was a price increase. Maybe it was changing because you wanted to stop carrying a certain product because it wasn't profitable. You know, whatever it is, you've made changes in the past that have made your customers, a few of them, upset in order to make the vast majority of your customers happier and to make you more money. And that's what cash discounting is. But, you know, you've got to go a little bit negative and explain there is some downside to it. You know, Um, your customers are not all going to be super happy when they, you know, see that service fee on there. And especially the first month, you're going to lose some people. If you don't explain that to them, you know, the first person that complains, they're going to call you. Oh, I had a customer complain. We're done. You're like, well, you lost one customer that you were making $4 a month off of. You know, are you really willing to give up $1,000 a month in savings to keep them? So, you know, you got to get into it. But here's the thing. Sales skill matters. The people that are selling cash discounting successfully, they know how to sell. And so they are pushing. You have to push. This is not the kind of thing where you're going to, you know, they're going to say yes the first time. And, you know, let, you know average and below average salespeople are, are, you know, talking to me and they're so frustrated. I don't get it, James. I'm offering this merchant $1,000 a month and they still won't go with it. Well, yeah, because you offered them and they said no. And then you were like, okay, well, I don't understand that, but have a great day. This is sales. You know, I love it because the value is there. I mean, everybody wants to get the value. This is like huge. The value is amazing, but you've got to sell it now. So when they're like, no, we're not interested in that. Well, hold on a second. You know, I wouldn't be doing my job if I let you go like that. I mean, we're talking about $12,000 a year for your family that I could put back into your pocket, that you could have that profit to, you know, put your kids through college, to go on a better vacation, to make your life better. I mean, why don't you want to do it? Help me understand because, you know, again, maybe you don't end up going with me, but if I can understand a little bit better, maybe that'll help me with the next, you know, the next business owner I talk to. I mean, help me understand your reservations here. Well, it's because I'm just, I know my customers and I know they're not going to like to say, okay, well, hold on, hold on. So 
maybe you're right and I'm wrong. Okay, let's let's look at it that way, right? If you're right and I'm wrong, let's play this out. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to put this sign up. I'm going to bring the terminal in. And if you're right and I'm wrong, then the first couple of days, all of your customers are going to be upset about it, right? And if that's the case, just call me. I'll come and switch it out and we'll do normal processing, okay? Now, again, there's a 5% chance that I am wrong because, again, I know the data. Um, you have an auto repair shop. I know the data. Most auto repair shops are fine. Their customers are fine with this. They don't even care. But maybe you're the unique one where they do, and that's fine. Maybe you're right and I'm wrong. In that case, you're going to save some money. Not as much, but you're going to save some money. But if I'm right and you're wrong, I'm going to save you 10000 or 12000 a year, whatever it is. So you've got to sell it. You've got to push it. You've got to go you know, over and over and over again. You've got to sell it. Okay. Last thing I want to talk about, and then we'll be done, is this report on cash discounting. Compliance matters. Compliance matters. Um, I was so furious. Uh, one of the calls I had with an agent, um, and I won't use the name of the processor or anything like that, but you know, the processor rolled out one of these, you know, bare bones cash discounting programs where they have the, you know, they figured out a way to set their terminal up on daily discount and add a tax. It's like. Okay, um, they did not provide any signage. And this is a large company, by the way. They didn't provide any signage to the rep. And I said, so what do you mean? You mean your merchants don't even have a sign up that says like we've added a service fee and we have a cash discount? And he's like, no, they do. And I'm like, well, where did they get it? He's like, oh, I made it. I said, you made it? You made a, you made a document, a sign that has gone into hundreds of merchant locations at this point? I said, do you realize when Visa sends a notice to your merchant that says they're in, you know, breach of their agreement with Visa, do you realize who's going to get hauled into court to explain the signage? You are. Don't be stupid. Good night. Compliance matters, okay? Do not roll out a cash discount program unless you're going to provide your agents with signage, unless you're going to ensure that the onboarding process talks to the merchant and confirms that they have put their sign up. Make sure that your merchants and your agents have some approved verbiage of how should you explain this to your customer? How should you explain this to a merchant? You know, you've got to be compliant, please, because if you don't, and right now the vast majority I'm talking to, I'm like, my goodness, like, wow, you know, like, I get it. You want to make the money, but here's the thing. The compliance isn't that difficult. You know, it's not that crazy, but you do have to look into it. Every state has slightly different rules. So what I would advise if you're a rep, make sure that your processor is like not just giddy about the profits of cash discounting. They're actually looking into the compliance issues and making sure it's done correctly in every state. Um, and if you are an ISO or a processor, please take the time to do this right. Talk to somebody that knows what they're doing and like figure it out and get it done the right way because otherwise you're really hurting the entire industry because you're making it so much easier for Visa to come in and shut down this great program that they don't like because it's finally putting pressure on them to lower their interchange rates. It's finally finally putting pressure on them to actually do something different. You know, they I don't know if you saw the news recently, they just negotiated in Canada, uh, Visa and MasterCard just negotiated with Canada Canada to voluntarily lower their interchange rates, which, by the way, are already 30% lower than they are in the States. Why did they do that? Because they didn't want to get regulated further in Canada. But here we are in the States, the largest market by far and the most profitable market by a factor of 10 for Visa and MasterCard, and yet our interchange fees are still massively higher than these other developed countries because we haven't regulated. And that's fine. I don't think we should regulate. I'm all about the free market, right? But in a free market, you have the ability to put pressure on a business to say, is this worth it? 
and the the consumers have been getting all the big benefits, the reward points. Merchants don't get reward points. They just pay. So finally, merchants have a chance to step up and say, like, uh, wasn't it Kroger? I can't remember the name of it. Now. I think it was Kroger that in California that literally stopped accepting Visa <laughs> because they said the fees are too high. You know, finally, merchants are wanting to to push back. And they have an opportunity to do that with cash discounting. Let's not ruin it by doing it in a a slipshod way that's going to give our industry a bad name and a bad reputation. So compliance matters. So consumers don't care. Cash discounting, not surcharging. Sales skills matter and compliance matters. My name is James Shepard. This has been a special report. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production from greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. We hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.